subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Fast talk. Street talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Here with you all the way through until one o'clock. We've got plenty to talk about this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we've got record migrant numbers coming in. 1,295 came yesterday alone, <clears throat> which means that over 5,000 have now come uh, in this month of August, which by my reckoning uh, puts it up to somewhere in the region of 25,000 people so far this year. Watching uh, the boats swimming up to the dock over in uh, the south coast there of Dover, uh, other parts as well. It seems to me that this is an incredibly successful business. I mean, if you want a business model to look at to see how to make money, this one is it. They use very strong boats. These boats are incredible. They are not dinghies that are going to flip over uh, in a bit of a calm sea. These are boats which are going to make crossings day in, day out, with upwards of 50, maybe more people on them. Uh, Very smooth crossings. It's actually the quickest and most efficient way to get to Britain. Because if you try flying in here, uh, you might have your flight cancelled. You probably have to wait in a a baggage hall for about an hour, possibly two hours, until your bag comes through on the carousel. Uh, If you're lucky and your plane lands and you have a gate to get to, you won't have to sit on the plane for 25 minutes. These guys are coming straight in, straight off the boat, straight onto a bus, straight into a hotel. Pizza arrives about 10 minutes later. Brilliant. Marvellous. Thank you very much indeed. Bob's your uncle. Uh, You can stay here for the rest of the time. Fantastic, isn't it? Brilliant. Uh, Also, of course, Violent Britain. We're talking about that this morning because we've had the episodes of the steaming gangs of youths taking over streets in London, robbing at the will the shops on Oxford Street. We've had multiple videos of people robbing from people in cars, smashing uh, the windows of a Bugatti. We've got people trying to nick watches on an industrial scale. We've now had, up in Liverpool, the terrible, terrible accident uh, which has resulted in the death of a nine-year-old girl shot dead two days after somebody else was shot dead in Liverpool, apparently by mistake. We seem to be in the grip of a very, very violent period uh, of our history, and I want to know why that is, and I want to know what you have to say about it. 0344 499 1000. As if that's not enough to talk about, UK inflation is forecast to hit, I kid you not, 18.6% early next year. Now that is going to cripple an awful lot of people. It will make it almost impossible for those people who do own homes to pay their mortgages because mortgage rates will go through the roof, literally. And it will be an absolute and utter nightmare for whoever is going to be Prime Minister. Probably Liz Truss. Also, Sukhir Starmer, we're going to talk about him. And who better to talk about all of this with? First up this morning is Dan Hodges, columnist with the Mail on Sunday. We'll get his view on all those stories, plus much, much more as well. There may be a press conference this morning uh, in Liverpool about the shooting of that little girl. We'll take you to that as well. We'll also be talking to Laura Donsworth, of course. She's here to talk about Prince Charles and his green agenda. Uh, Susan Hall is in uh, from the office uh, of the opposition to Sadiq Khan, a man who knows a thing or two about not controlling violent crime in this city. 03444 499 
0809-1000 is the number. We'll get to it. We'll get to all of it. We'll take your calls, of course, as well. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Let's do it. Meanwhile, of course, uh, the sewage down in uh, the south coast that we mentioned yesterday. The Guardian's got a story saying trust cut millions from services that kept sewage off the UK beaches. Well, also, even more surprisingly than anything, really, last night Manchester United actually won a football match against Liverpool, believe it or not. Let's talk to Dan Hodges. Dan, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Now, uh, let's kick off with the football because, uh, you know, it's about the only thing we that does. To. It's the only thing that doesn't actually um, uh, depress the hell out of everybody, unless you're a Liverpool fan, of course. I didn't know you were. Um, well, I am I, a Liverpool fan. I, so I, I, well, in that case, I apologise. I didn't do it deliberately. I saw you tweeted about it. Um, I would have thought you'd have got a very good odds before that game that Man United wouldn't win. Yeah, although, I mean, like a, a number of people, I was. I just thought there had to be some sort of response uh, to their their 4-0 thrashing. Mm. Um, And obviously, you know, it's been focused on Man United. Uh, We have had a worse start. I mean, it's it's official now. We've officially had a worse start of the season uh, than Man United have. And, you know, I mean, it's going to take a bit of time for them. But, you know, Ten Hag, he he doesn't seem to me, from the little I've seen him, he doesn't seem to be a, a, a mug. Um, he certainly, you know, the classic thing we all say, you know, he got them playing for him last night. I mean, I have to say I was really impressed with the way, um, certainly the way they started mm. the game. But So they did actually, I was surprised they managed to sustain it. And frankly, they bullied us off the park, yes. certainly in the first 20 minutes. And you've got to give him credit. credit yeah, I'm, for that. I'm just pleased Piers Morgan's out of the country, so you can't gloat about Arsenal being top of the league. Um, but I don't, no doubt you will be doing all of that once he comes back. Let's t- kick off with um, what is going on. Violent Britain, I want to talk to you about, because it does seem as though, and it does often happen, doesn't it, when it goes hand in hand with sort of, you know, rampant inflation, um, people feeling that they're not able to afford anything. Suddenly crime seems to go up. I don't really know why. I mean, Sadiq Khan said the other day, it's the long days and the hot n- nights and all of that. Suddenly there's more people out on the street. But, I mean, we're seeing video after video in, in, in this office now. Daylight robbery literally going on um, in the streets of Knightsbridge, in the streets of um, of Kensington. We're seeing people getting shot dead in Liverpool. I mean, it's an extraordinary state of affairs, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I mean, the one thing I would say is, um, I mean, I cannot think of a time when there wasn't a popular or indeed a media perception that crime was spiralling. Mm. I mean, I, I can't remember a time when everybody sat back and said, isn't it wonderful, crime? Remember that? It's a thing of the past now. You know, we're on top, we're on top of it. Mm. So, it, so, so we have to have that, that, sort of, that, that sort of caveat. I mean, the thing I was thinking about is I, I still I remember the old uh, the old slogan that we sort of that Tony Blair came up with and we used to sort of push out back in my Labour days, which is the old uh, tough on crime and yeah. tough on the causes of crime. And yeah. I think there is something in that. I mean, you you pointed to the, the you know the, to spiraling inflation, um, uh, a sense of sort of social economic unrest. Obviously, you cannot use that as an excuse, but you'd be an idiot to say there wasn't some sort of society, social uh, link to crime. I mean, mm. I think I, that's there. Equally, it does seem to me we do have a fundamental problem with policing in this country now. I mean, certainly in London, for example, I mean, we've seen effectively, I mean, I've said it before, the Met is, is an organisation that is quite clearly no longer fit for purpose. Mm. And I don't blame any of the sort of uh, frontline officers for that. I think, you know, that is squarely on the shoulders of, of, you know, the senior commanders within within the Met and Britain's police forces in general. I think I do think part of that is I don't think the police know what we want for them. They seem to be running around chasing whatever the current sort of fashionable view is in terms of how we police do we want community policing do we want tough policing do we want them engaging uh with those communities that have traditionally been uh for various reasons suspicious of the police we're currently going through a period where there's this backlog that you know this backlash against police you know doing the macarena in 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 the streets and i think we need some consistency and i think the, the police need some consistency and the final point I'd make is also, though, I think one of the things 
that is different this time is to an extent, I mean, we're obviously talking about it today, is how to an extent we're becoming desensitized mm. to, 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 to very serious crime. I and mean, we had the situation, what was it last week, the, the week before where a pensioner got stabbed to death yeah. in the streets. And initially there was no huge media or public reaction at all. And it was only when suddenly people started saying, hang on, wouldn't we have reacted to this yes. 10, 20 years ago that people did start reacting? So yeah. I think, but it's a, it's a complex process, but I think all of those elements it are is. feeding. But all, all I can tell you, Dan, is that when I lived in New York back in the early 90s, um, it was a very, very dangerous place. And one of the reasons I left it was because I just had a, a little girl, two-year-old uh, at this point, and we decided, you know what, we're going to go back to Britain because New York is, is simply just too dangerous. And, and there was a sense of lawlessness about it. There was gangs of kids on subways just robbing people. There was people getting rolled in the street by gangs of kids who they were walking through. Um, you know, we'd go to the local sort of park and there'd be, you know, people who had been discharged from mental hospitals running around. And I came back to Britain and it was a very much more calm place. And I get the sense today in London that that's kind of where we are. And it can be changed because Rudolph Giuliani came in when he was still sensible uh, and he became mayor of New York and he cleaned it all up. And I don't know what he did with the homeless, but somehow he cleaned that up, cleaned up the crime. You know, it is possible to do, but it needs some kind of strong leadership. And I think it's not a coincidence that here we are in Britain with not very much leadership of any kind at all. No, I think you're right. It's interesting you mentioned Giuliani because I, I, I was going to raise him. You're absolutely right. I mean, obviously, we forget it now because Giuliani, frankly, has gone mad and is, well, is now it's, seen it's, as... it's not the best time of his life, is it? Exactly. As you know, is 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 this 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 lunatic who runs, runs around sort of speaking on behalf of Donald Trump? Yeah. But no, I mean, I, I, you know, he was a successful mayor, and his success was based on a on a fundamental principle in in, in relation in relation to policing, mm. which was if you take the time and effort and resources to deal with what are seen as relatively minor offences, such as graffiti, Mm. such as um, uh, vagrancy, although obviously we have to be careful about it. You can't just sweep homeless people off the streets. Mm. You have to, you know, you have to do it with with, with compassion. Um, If if you deal with those sort of relatively minor street robberies, et cetera, then by doing that, you, you change the culture you change the perception within communities about mm. what is what isn't acceptable behavior and that can 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 help prevent the situation spiral out of the control out of control and, and and i think you know i was i was talking about you know the whole sort of the macarena style of, mm. of, of of policing and as i say i do have some sympathy with the police on this because and i think it is important we don't we don't want to go back to the 70s and 80s and 90s where there were there were sort of whole swathes of society that that you know were basically in open warfare with the police but i do think the police have got to read the read the room at mm. the moment you know people are becoming concerned and 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 there is a mood i think and there is an appetite i think for getting back to some fundamental policing mm. and some fundamental priorities in policing which means we do have police on the streets banging up criminals not lock not knocking on people's doors because of something they posted on on on, right. on social media for example yes and also uh, actually arresting people i mean some of the police officers that we speak to former police officers say you know i didn't want to go to the end of my working day without arresting someone you know we now have hordes of police who never go out you just sit in an office and don't actually arrest people for weeks and you can see that in the crime figures, in the way that the crime figures are now so bad. Uh, but, the, the, but the solving of crimes is almost insignificant. They solve hardly any burglaries. They solve hardly any car thefts. They don't even bother even coming round uh, if somebody nicks something out of your house. You know, And that is pr- partly where I think a lot of these criminals have the, the wherewithal to do whatever they like because they know they're not going to get caught. There's a really good chance that they'll never be caught. And if they are caught, they'll never be punished. But stay where you are, Dan. We've got to take a little short break. We'll be back. We want to talk about inflation. We'll talk about Keir Starmer. We'll talk about leadership. We want to talk about who is going to be the next prime minister because we're getting closer now to having one, which would be nice, wouldn't it? This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through uh, until one o'clock. Uh, right now, uh, we are counting 5,000 migrants who have come uh, into this uh, particular country this month alone. And Albanian criminals who were deported uh, for working in drugs gangs and being found guilty of committing drugs crimes uh, have basically been sneaking back into the UK. We're going to talk about that later on uh, in this hour. Let's talk about the state of the nation uh, with Dan Hodges from the Mail on Sunday. UK inflation forecast to hit 18.6% early next year. Um, you might not be quite as old as I am, Dan, so you might not quite remember the negative equity nightmare that a lot of people found themselves in where they couldn't afford to pay the mortgage anymore because the interest rate went through the roof and they and they couldn't, and so they had to basically sell the house that they had, which was then worth less than they'd borrowed. Yeah, I mean, this is... I mean, this is obviously the the, the, the crisis that is going to that we're, that we're all going to have to deal with. That the new prime minister is going to have to confront and is going to define politics between mm. now and, and and the next election. And it is an inflation crisis. I mean, I think the fir- I think the first thing I would say is we've been everyone has been trying to ignore this by by, by sort of euphemistically calling it a cost of living crisis. Mm. I don't know when it became a cost of living crisis rather than an inflation mm. crisis. But it is an old school inflationary crisis. And the reality is no one has even attempted to get to grips with mm. this. Now, let's set aside the Tory leadership election because we'll probably come on to that in a second. But I do not remember Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak, a single senior member of the government who has any form of economic brief at any point prior to this point, standing up, giving a speech, writing a a significant article, saying anything significant in the House of Commons that first identified this problem, secondly, levelled with the the country about the scale of the problem, or thirdly, came up with anything that resembled a solution to tackle Mm. tackle this problem. Now, everybody's currently running around saying... Oh, you know, we need we need to we, we need stop the Tory leadership election, and we need everybody needs to get together, and we need to have a plan by the end of the week. You know, that's cool. forget that. You know, forget that. This is a major, major crisis. It's a major economic crisis. It's going to need a serious strategy. It's going to need the new prime minister get to get to grips with it. But the key thing is, it is going to have to be the priority. I mean, on this, Rishi Sunak is is, is right. You know, the, the priority is going to have to be getting inflation under control. Mm. You don't do that by by tax cuts. You don't do that by increasing in, increasing spending. You don't do that by signing off 18, 15, 16, 17, 80% pay increases. That's the reality. Now, the question is, does anybody want to hear that? And does anybody actually want to do what is going to be necessary to get this inflationary inflationary spiral under control as well as, and, and and it's not going to simply be as easy as saying, "Well, right, let's just let's just introduce a windfall tax right. on the energy companies." Welcome, and an important part of the strategy that though that would be. Well, interesting that uh, that's Keir Starmer's strategy, isn't it? I saw him speaking yesterday where he was talking about freezing the cost of energy, uh, making a windfall tax uh, available so that people could get sort of subsidies from that to pay, which I still think is the most ridiculous idea ever because what you're effectively doing is subsidising the companies with their own money um, instead of getting the price down. Um, you've also got, uh, I had Theresa Villiers on here last week or week before, and when I asked her what is Rishi Sunak's plan to cut on inflation, she, she didn't know. And he hasn't said what, exactly what he would do. Um, and Keir Starmer's other uh, genius idea is to insulate everybody's home. So he's now become the sort of, you know, insulate Britain correspondent uh, for the Labour Party. And everybody knows that is not as simple as it sounds because you can't insulate every home in Britain. And who the hell's going to pay for it and how long is it going to take? No, I mean, the insulation stuff is is quite clearly rubbish. But here I'm going to say something that you don't hear me say often. You know, I, I, sorry, I disagree with you. I completely agree with Keir Starmer on the, on, on, on the windfall tax. My criticism of Keir Starmer on this is actually that I don't think he's going he's going far enough. Mm. I mean, he, on, on his as far as my reading of his his plan and a little it was a little bit of peak here and there. But my, my reading of his plan is he wants to. Uh, increase the windfall tax by a relatively small amount, take that money off the big energy energy producers who are absolutely creaming it in at the moment in terms of their in, in terms of their profits. And then the taxpayer then puts in another lump and that is used to effectively hold down and, 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 and suppress the, the price rise. Firstly, 
I would take a hundred percent of the amount that it costs from the from the private en energy companies. These guys are profiteering at a time of war. Mm. Because remember, a big part of this is because Putin is deliberately weaponizing energy at the moment to try and support his invasion of, of Ukraine and is deliberately targeting targeting us. And the other thing. And if that doesn't get these these guys in line in term in, in terms of the vast profits they're making, then I agree with Gordon Brown. And I think in the same way that as happened with the banking crisis, these guys should be taken under public sector control until the, until the crisis crisis has passed. Well, yeah, but the trouble is, right? The two things that I can't make head nor tail of or make any sense of is if um, the, the oil companies are saying, well, we have to charge more money because it's costing us more money to get the oil as a result of the war. How come they're making more money than they were? Because surely if the price is going up in, in unison with the wholesale price, they shouldn't be making extra money. But they are. So there's something wrong there, isn't there? Because it's because, as I said, it's because they are literally profiteering yeah. and they're not making any, they might eat any so money. Say, so what I'm saying effectively is they don't, they don't have to be charging this kind of money. They're doing it because they're absolutely rinsing us. So exactly. Surely, exactly. The, surely the conversation should be get them to lower the prices and that way people can afford to buy it and then you don't need to subsidize the, well, frankly, the public that, ex ex no exactly but the point but the point is the only way you the only way you get them to raise the prices to lower the prices is to basically take a take a, a big stick to these guys mm. and we and we've seen it we've seen it before and this I, I, you've seen this the other day this to me it's not about ideology it's not about whether you're on the left or the right you can believe in a private market solution you can believe in private companies that's fine i mean i would broadly default to that point of view but when you have a situation where it is quite clear the market isn't working where it's quite clear that these companies are unable or unwilling or unable to provide their basic services heat light to their customers at a price that we can afford so literally we're looking at a situation where this winter we are literally going to have thousands of people basically freezing to death mm. in their homes we can't have that. I mean, that is not sustainable. Mm. So at that point, doesn't matter whether it's Liz Trust, doesn't matter whether it's Rishi Sunak, doesn't matter whether it's Keir Starmer, doesn't matter whether it's Jeremy Corbyn, doesn't matter whether it's Father Christmas. Someone is going to have to act because we can't have a situation where we have five thousand, six thousand pound energy bills. No, no, it's an, it's, it's it's impossible it for people to pay that. Even for people who are relatively well off, can't afford that. It's madness. But I do wonder whether there's a bit of catastrophization going on here because an awful lot of people who uh, are being told currently it's going to go to four thousand a year are still only paying fifty percent more than they were last year, and to then tell them that it's going to jump by a factor of five. I think it's a bit irresponsible. I mean, I was watching uh, a report this morning about the upcoming weekend. It's a bank holiday weekend, which I'd completely forgotten about. They've now issued an amber traffic ward, uh, warning. I'm like, when, since when did they start issuing amber warnings for traffic? You know, everything's an amber bloody warning, you know, all the time. It's going to get a lot worse. Well, sure. Well, let's wait and see, shall we? No, I think that's right. But then there is the other side of this, which is then when something something happens, as it inevitably does, everybody turns around and says, well, why didn't somebody do something? And then, we, you know, we blame <laughs> well, someone else. Well, doing so, something, though, and so warning... I, I mean, I, I do agree with the whole everything is a crisis at mm. the moment. You know, the you know the, the, the weather, it gets hot and it's a crisis, and it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But one thing I don't think is an overblown crisis is 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 the, the the rise in energy bills and inflation 18, 18 or 20 percent i mean that is, a, that is a that is a real that no one's hyping that no. that is that is a real crisis no. and someone's gonna have to get a grip through it no absolutely right dan great to talk to you thank you very much indeed dan hodges political commentator man on sunday columnist of course as well um actually supports something that keir starmer does which is unusual for him we're going to talk about this and much much more because at the end of the day you know it's all very well warning us about something doing something about it is something different oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand this is talk tv See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until one o'clock. Uh, and of course, we've got lots to do, many of you to talk to. Uh, Mike says, uh, Chris in Newbury, with all this crime going on, it's lucky we haven't opened a VIP fast track lane on the south coast for Albanian criminal gangs. Oh, hang on. Well, yeah, I mean, you might as well say that, mightn't you? Albanian criminal gangs getting deported, coming back in. People who come here illegally... Probably because they've been deported, right? That would be sneaking in. But it's not really sneaking in because presumably when they come in, having been deported, uh, their papers don't show that they've been deported because they don't have them. And there's no way of knowing who they are because they don't have any papers. And so the Border Force just let them back in again. 
It's like a sort of porous and ridiculous two-way system, isn't it? Get deported, come back. No problem at all. 0344 499 Lots and lots of people uh, are asking the question, how and when is this business with the migrants going to stop? 5,000 so, so far this month have come. 1,295 people detected coming over in small boats uh, on Monday, the highest early number since records began. This according to the Ministry of Defence. And I'm sick to death of seeing people on social media and elsewhere saying, oh, they're not coming here illegally. Yes, they are. When they arrive, they are arrested, right? Which means they must be coming here illegally. And when they say, oh, but most of them actually claim asylum and get asylum, that's because they stay here for such a long time that by the time they've appealed and appealed and appealed and appealed, they eventually get asylum simply because they've been living here long enough. And that's the truth. Let's talk to Dr. Rakiba Sand, social policy analyst and author, of course. Rakiba, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very good indeed. I was watching uh, some footage this morning of these uh, uh, one of these dinghies arriving, which was so large, it looked like it had about 50 or more people on it. You know, you can watch this and believe that these are people fleeing a war zone and looking as if they're in a desperate situation. And you can believe that if you want. But basically what this is now is a very lucrative business for an awful lot of people who are making an awful lot of money. And it's very obvious that it's a very well run and very efficient system for getting from point A to point B. I was uh, sort of only half joking this morning when I said this is actually probably the most efficient way to get to Britain. Well, Mike, uh, I absolutely agree with you. What we have is a cross-national people smuggling infrastructure, which makes a great deal out of, a great deal of money in terms of facilitating these uh, journeys. Mm. Um, ultimately, facilitating the journey for thousands of people now who illegally enter the UK, and it is right that we use the term illegal because they're not following the legal processes when it comes to relocating to the UK. And I think that you make a really good point there, Mike, about, you know, to what extent are they truly fleeing violence and persecution? Um, A notable chunk of the legal migrants that are illegally entering the UK uh, via the English Channel originate from Albania. Albania has not experienced conflict since the 1997 civil war. Mm, Exactly right. And I mean, we're looking at the numbers here. The previous highest daily number was 1,185. That was on November the 11th, 2021. But this year, before now, it was 696 on August the 1st. That's more or less been doubled by the numbers that came on Monday. Well, it's remarkable. And the latest figures uh, suggest that on Monday, um, the the number of people who uh, crossed into the UK via the channel was 1,295. And there's villages and civil parishes across the country that nowhere near have that kind of population. Um, That's the truth of it. And I think there's a region of 25 boats, I think 27 boats to be exact, which were intercepted. Um, this is absolutely remarkable. We do have a you know, a failing border security system. And the UK government, they're talking about having these advanced, apparently it's been reported they're having advanced talks with five more African countries um, looking to negotiate some kind of a Rwanda-style deal. Mm. But the reality is, Mike, the UK-Rwanda migration partnership has been anything but successful. So I think it's best that they focus on how they can make that workable before entering these further arrangements. Well, exactly right, because they haven't even been able to send one person, I don't think, to Rwanda, have they? They had a plane ready to go. It started with 30, Mm. got down to 11, eventually got down to, I think, one. uh, And and even that person did not even uh, eventually go to Rwanda. So uh, as long as the ECHR seems to be still in commission, the European Court for Human Rights, None of that is going to change. And it seems incredible to me that there are so many people in this country who are very happy to allow this to continue to go on. We've got Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak running to be Prime Minister of this country in a leadership contest. They barely ever mention it. You know, Keir Starmer mm. barely ever mentions it. Uh, you've got commentators who say, oh, well, you know, we've always been a welcoming country. That's not the issue. The issue here is not about racism. It's not about, um, you know, blocking people from being able to seek asylum here if, in fact, they mm. are legitimate asylum seekers. It's about stopping a criminal enterprise. I don't understand why people don't get that. No, absolutely. The, 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 those people smuggling infrastructures I was referring to, referring to earlier, these are criminal enterprises and we need to clamp down on them. 
there's no two ways about it. Uh, I think that more generally, uh, illegal immigration for me is one of the most serious problems um, from a social cohesion and national security perspective. And I think, of course, Britain historically has been a very welcoming and generous spirited country when it comes to rehoming the world's most persecuted peoples. At the moment, the, the world's most persecuted pupils cannot even get a look in through our asylum system mm. because it's being overrun by illegal economic migrants. Yeah, and that's the problem. And talking of, of what happens to them once they're here, you know, mm. they are there are now, you know, people say, oh, it's a very small number compared to the number of people living here. It doesn't have any impact on local communities. Well, that's also not true because I'm getting caller after caller every single day here at this show telling mm. me that yet another hotel has been closed off to them. You know, places where they used to be able to have birthday parties, where Absolutely. weddings used to take place. You mentioned this first that uh, to when we spoke the other week. Um, mm. That, you know, communities are being riven by this uh, business of block booking hotels because the hotel just gets taken out of commission and it's happening all over the country. Absolutely. And I'd make the point, Mike, we don't have a very fair system when it comes to dispersing refugees and asylum seekers across the country. No. Um, it, it, it's relatively poor communities that disproportionately bear the brunt of that rehoming process. And as you say, when it comes to accommodation for those who are illegally entering Britain, uh, much of that is taking much of that is taking place um, in local communities which are now being deprived of hotels, for example, mm. that would act as a hub for you know, considerable social interaction. As you said there, those fa um, sort of family-oriented, community-spirited events, birthday parties, um, wedding receptions, um, even wedding anniversaries. Um, now people are being, de being deprived of those um, facilities, mm. you could say, within those local communities. And that's going to undermine social cohesion in many parts of the country, Mike. Absolutely right. And it gets worse and worse and worse with every passing week because, you know, 5,000 people in one month alone now, you know, we've still got, you know, four or five months to go till the end of the year. Um, we're up at 25,000. We could reach 50,000. Uh, it was 40 last year. You know, these are not small numbers of people. They're not. They're not small numbers of people at all. And I think that when we're looking at um, what should have been this government's post-Brexit um, programme, border security should have been at the heart of that. And, of course, that there are domestic obstructionists. You referred to them uh, earlier in our conversation. You have those kind of, you know, human rights activists, mm. um, those with an open borders mentality say that Britain should be welcoming of all people. Ultimately, they're prioritising global welfare over national interests. That's what it boils down to. I understand that. But governments are ultimately going to be rated by their performance in key areas of public policy. Yeah. And at the moment, we have a Conservative government with a handsome parliamentary majority which is simply not delivering there are we ultimately elect our representatives to think strategically and uh, meet the public's demands and desires when it comes to issues such as immigration mm. um, and integration and at the moment the conservative government is simply not delivering the goods Mike. no they simply are not very well put dr rakeeba sand social policy analyst and writer of course uh Rakeem, thank you very much indeed we'll take your calls coming up 0344 because this is ridiculous now. We have reached ridiculous proportions uh, of numbers of people coming here, seemingly without a care in the world, uh, knowing that they will get here and will never have to leave. And if you happen to be in an Albanian drugs gang, if you, even if you get deported, you can just come back. It's ridiculous. It's plainly ludicrous. Anyone who defends this has not got their head screwed on. This is Talk TV. Online on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It isn't a bad day out there, but the sun's kind of disappeared for a while. I don't know, it went away yesterday, hasn't really properly come back. But don't worry, uh, I'm sure it will come back. We've now got an amber warning in place for traffic. I mentioned that in the first uh, hour, that disgraceful sound, or well, not so disgraceful as kind of disgusted sound that you heard, Mr. Laura Dodsworth. Uh, why are we getting amber warnings for traffic suddenly? Amber warnings for weather, amber warnings for flooding, amber warnings for everything. We're not getting an amber warning for illegal migrants. Maybe we should. Well, that should be a red warning, shouldn't it? They've now reached uh, 5,000 this week, this month alone. 1,295 yesterday. Unbelievable stuff. We're going to talk about Prince Charles. We're going to talk about 
the man Fauci in the United States of America. Uh, we're also going to talk about dogs. We're going to also continue to talk about what is going on in this country with the levels of violent crime. We'll take lots of your calls, so please keep them coming. 0344 499 1000. Right now, though, time to say a very good morning to Ms. Laura Dogsworth. Hello. Well, good morning. And apologies for the involuntary noise no, I like discussed. It. I like you know, it. There's certain, there's certain kind of bodily motions I'm, I'm less in control these days. This is the eye roll <laughs> yeah. and the sound of disgust. Yes. I, I, they need to stop colour coding our lives. Really? It's not all danger, right. danger, danger, danger. This is ridiculous. And I'm pretty sure this is a first. I, I read the story this morning. It was a bank holiday weekend, which I'd sort of forgotten. Um, and apparently there's going to be a lot of traffic, like there always is. And they're now calling it an amber traffic warn- warning. That was the eye roll. I just yeah. did the, I'm not even in control. No. We're going to have to put my eyeballs on a red warning <laughs> because they've got, a, they've got a mind of their own. They're dangerous. And, and look what all these colour codings are for, you know, infection. Yeah. Mm. Infection of viruses. Traffic. We seem to have got past Weather? the... Yeah. This is madness. I know. We seem to have got past the monkeypox scare, by the way. That seems to be in remission, monkeypox. So I'm glad I didn't get it anyway is all I can say. Well, there's warnings about it at the Tory party conference. Maybe we'll come to that we'll later. We'll come to that later. But I'll tell you who we do need to put on a red warning. Yes. And this is the royal family. Mm. I don't know if you saw, but Prince Charles has um, released a little video yes. talking about climate change and really praising China and China's role oh in the green agenda and how we need to move towards a green economy. Now, the reason I would put him on a red warning is in this country, we are used to our monarchs remaining above mm. the political fray. And I think Prince Charles stands to make himself one of the most unpopular and out-of-touch monarchs this country has ever known. And particularly in contrast to his mother, the Queen, I think we have a little clip of this speech. Let's have a look at it change and biodiversity loss as two of the world's most dire and pressing threats simply cannot be solved without China. At COP26 in Glasgow and through China's presidency of COP15, the world has made some progress towards a net zero, biodiversity positive and sustainable future. But governments cannot achieve these goals alone. Industry must play a central role in our efforts to accelerate the green transition. Mobilising finance will be crucial. The Sustainable Markets Initiative brings together the world's leading businesses to collaborate and invest in the future. China is home to the world's biggest banks and insurers. Chinese companies are also world leaders in green technologies, from electric vehicles to renewable energy. So your collective action through uh, the Sustainable Markets Initiative China Council will play a vital role in the global transition to a greener economy. Oh, my goodness, that's a long clip. Oh. I, don't know, I don't know how your audience could oh my stand God. it. Let's hope I think they're I've, still with us. I think, I've I've just become, I think I've just become an instant Republican. Well, anti-monarchist at least. We don't want a a president, do we? We might end up with Tony Blair. But what I will say about you know, the Queen Queen is greatly loved by many people in this country. Now, I I am not, I'm not a royalist. I'm sorry I'm not. I'm not a monarchist. But, you know, I can see that she's a woman who has really put duty and um, the country first in her life. I don't think um, Prince Charles inspires the same loyalty and love in people. And I tell you why, because he does not have the same loyalty and love for his subjects. God, I hate that word. Mm. For the people of this country. When he talks about mobilising finances, let's be really clear what that means. This green agenda is is going to tax people into poverty. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at where... It's already doing it. Absolutely, but it hasn't hit yet. We don't have the anger yet in this country. Anger has not bitten. But when energy bills go up potentially to an average of £6,000 per year, Mm. people will be angry. Could he look any more out of touch? This is a man who stands to inherit one of the greatest fortunes on earth. Yes. And this is a case very much of... um, Helicopters and suitcases of cash for me, yes. but nothing for thee. Mm. This, he takes Those nice private, Qataris. Private jets and helicopters yeah. everywhere. He owns palaces, vast swathes of our beautiful land, and he's lecturing us about mm. having 
less. I know. Unbelievable. And also, I've actually advocated in the past for him to be passed over anyway, because he's too old. You know, who needs a king who's only going to be in power or in thr- on the throne for sort of 10 years? William is far better uh, for me as a, as a potential king. He's got his issues with the green agenda because he made his little speech, didn't he, at the Jubilee night? Yes. And I was like, there's no need for that. And you also know. to BAFTA, yes. similar speech to BAFTA. You know, and all this nonsense about green. I mean, I'm sick to death of these people preaching to us about what we need to do in order to save mm-hmm. the planet. And still, I ask the question, what the hell is net zero? What does it mean? And when uh, will we see the benefits of it? Because at the moment, there are no benefits. All there are are costs and people unable to afford the things that they would like to have because of the green agenda. Look at Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka had a really superb ESG rating, okay? And they have riots. They don't have enough food. They switch to organic farming. The country's a mess. It's it's really over there for now. Net zero. The zero tells you everything. It's about annihilation. It's about nothing. It's about scarcity. This may be an unpopular view for some, but let's see how people feel this winter Mm. when they can't afford... Um, their heating. The idea of energy bills being now set to be about two thirds of what a pensioner earns is disgusting. I'm going to just go out and say this, but people who are pushing this agenda, they either see themselves as a different cast of people to the people who will suffer, or they don't like people. There is something monstrous about saying to most of the ordinary people in this country, you have to have less water, you have to have less heat, you have to have less lighting, you have to have less everything. By the way, way, even your classrooms may not be able to stay open five days a week. This is monstrous. Mm. We're a first world country and we should not accept this. So for a monarch to extol those ideas is deeply disappointing. If I think back to who I'd compare him to, because we, you know, I said he's going to make himself very unpopular. I think you have to go back to medieval kingship. Yes. We're looking at somebody like King John. Mm. King John, who was totally out of touch with his subjects. Um, he, he taxed them to the hilts. We had incredibly punitive fines, a bit like the COVID mm. fines. Um, you know, this is this is a man who starved his knights and the wives and children of his enemies. Right. And um, But, you know, out of bad kings come good things. There was the Magna Carta. I think that our leaders are so bad right now yeah. for the times that we're in that this has to be an opportunity to go back to some pen and paper and redraw what democracy is supposed to look like. Mm. Yeah, because here we are um, all sort of jumping along this same tune, this route of net zero, and that's got to be uh, everything that we aim for. And it's you're kind of going, why? You know, you read the water companies um, who can't seemingly manage any water at all whatsoever, ruining the beaches of this country, um, completely unable to stop water leaking into the ground. Everything they do is driven by net zero. Same as the energy companies, everything they do is driven by net zero. Every government, whether it's local or national, in Europe is driven by net zero. It's madness. And none of us were ever asked about it. No, absolutely. And this is what I'm saying about scarcity and abundance. There is no reason to be rationing our water or our energy. Instead, we should have a mindset of abundance. Mm. Um, Matt Hancock tweeted something so ludicrous. It was hilarious last week. He said, we must protect water. Well, mate, look at a map of the world. It's yeah. nearly all blue. We don't need to protect water. It's um, it's not going to run out. No. We can't run out. A little bit of chemistry there mm. for him. Instead, what we need to do is build more reservoirs, yes. and perhaps some desalination. Stop leaking, guess what? Stop leaking water. Guess what? We don't need to ration yeah. it. We can have lots of water in this country. Mm. And reservoirs have not been built. Why? Because apparently it was not good for the climate. I mean, please explain why having a reservoir, uh, which is actually rather a pleasant looking thing, generally speaking, is somehow bad for the climate. It's not, is it? Well, I don't believe it's bad for the climate or the environment. But the fact is, if you don't put the people of this country first, Mm. it is anti-people. It is anti-human. And there is a monstrous vein that runs through that. We don't need to have a mentality of scarcity. Um, There was uh, somebody who works in the government in Wales. I'm so sorry, I don't remember the name. But he was saying, we know we don't need more reservoirs. We need people to use less water. Well, no, we all need to vote yeah. for leaders who will look after the people of this yes. country and give them what they need. I'll tell you what we need fewer infrastructure. Of. We need fewer politicians. You get rid of the Welsh Assembly, nobody would care, you know, and you'd save yourself an awful lot of money. Maybe build a reservoir instead. In fact, make a reservoir out of the Welsh Assembly building. How about that? Well, it's not called that anymore. It's called the Thened now. You could call it the Thened. Sounds more. Do you know they actually asked for permission to double the number of representatives in there? Unfortunately, it was turned down. But they actually wanted to increase the number of politicians. All the ones in Scotland as well. Scottish Parliament. Get rid of it. You know, make it a reservoir. Be far more useful.
<laughs> well, I, I'm I'm putting the royalty on red warning. I think that the um, the royalties, you know, our royalty are making themselves increasingly redundant. Yeah. What you're saying about Prince William, I think there's a bit of a branding image going on with him mm. at the moment. You know, living in a normal house, he's man of the people. Yeah, right. It's branding. Normal house. It's well, well, relatively, is this, relatively. This is, this is the, the the cottage at Windsor, isn't it? Where they say was when remember when Harry and Meghan lived there, and it was like something like twenty two room cottage, and you go. Right. It's not actually a cottage, is it? It's playing. Royal families always have cottages cottage. playing. You know, Queen Charlotte had one. Marie Antoinette had one. They, they love having little pastoral cottages yes. to play in and pretend they're ordinary. But this is the grounds of their yeah. castle. This is just a rebranding image to make you think that the royalty's still good for us. Yes, it's like saying, should we take the car? And you go, well, yeah, but it's a Bentley and, uh, you know, it's really, really, really expensive to run and it takes an awful lot of fuel. But nobody else should do it, but we can. Exactly. It's is not it, a car, it's a Bentley. Hip, hypocrisy doesn't sit well with people. No. And the British people, while they, they love their monarch, they also really value fair play. Mm. So Prince Charles's comments about the green agenda and mobilising finances are not fair play, and everybody can see through it. Exactly. He stands to make himself as unpopular as King John, or his namesake, King Charles, and we know what happened there. And if he's unlucky, uh, he could be the last one that we ever have, because if he really upsets people to the extent of uh, politicians going, no, we're not having this anymore, thanks very much, um, you can hop off and we're going to do away with you. How about this from um, Chris? Uh, he says, morning, Mike, surely removing the 25% levy on electricity, the 8% levy on gas and VAT on the lot is the way to go, as well as the windfall tax. That would also reduce inflation, or am I missing something here? Or are we scared of Just Stop Oil, Extinction Rebellion and all those other fools? You know, these people who complain and who sit on glued to motorways and things are literally, you know, convincing governments in the world that this is the way to go. And they don't even know why. Even Keir Starmer has come out and said it would be a good idea to insulate all the houses in Britain. It's an idiotic idea. You can't insulate all the houses in Britain. Most of them can't be insulated. I'd like to insulate Sir Keir Starmer. I don't mean that in a violent way, obviously, but just sort of wrap him up in some kind of wool so we can't hear him. Something like that. Uh, Lord Dodsworth is here. We're going to talk about um, America coming next and, of course, public sector pensions. Yes, isn't it wonderful? This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. It is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. It is the home of common sense, and that's why Laura Dosworth is here. Speaking great common sense, though. I think Prince Charles has got to be very careful about how he proceeds and what he says. And he's always been a bit nutty when it came to the climate. Um, but he really does need to, to, to be a bit less kind of pushy, I think, because it doesn't suit uh, the British people. We don't like to be told what to do, I think, as a general rule. Let's talk about Anthony Fauci, um, who's an interesting character, I suppose you might say. Tell us what you make of him, first of all. What do I make of him? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't trust him or like him at all. I think he's just wrought economic devastation and hardship across the whole world with his mad failed lockdown policies. Yes. And it's... I mean, Although, it's, at least it's, in America, they had an option, didn't they? If you were in a particular state like Florida, where the governor said, I'm not having that, they didn't have to do it, unlike us. Well, sure, there's a separation between state and federal law, but you don't really have an option. You know, if you live in California and you've got children and a job, you can't necessarily just up sticks and go to Florida, although it would have been sorely tempting, wouldn't no, it? No, but what I'm saying is is that at least it's it's not an, amorph uh, an amorphous mass in the same way that Britain is, or I suppose mm. England is, because England and Scotland did different things. I mean, Scotland was even worse. I'm just glad I didn't live in Scotland when all this was going on. Oh, totally. You know? But the, the big news about Fauci is that he is retiring, although he has made it clear he's not really retiring. Oh. There's a the next stage in his career. And this is the thing about people like Fauci. I don't think there's any point getting too excited about what the end of his tenure means. What it probably means is that they're going to employ somebody like Fauci mm. to replace Fauci. Yeah. Um, there's speculation that he might have left in order to increase his chances of winning a Nobel Peace Prize. What's he going to get that for? Oh, save us. Well, the World Health Organization got one, you know, you just... What did they get one for? <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, the Nobel Prize now has been as discredited as almost every other prize that people get given, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and some people think that he's resigned before um, the Republicans do well in the midterms yeah. and, and the next elections, and he's just trying to make his escape now. I'd say we haven't seen the last of Fauci. It's mm. like, do you remember when Neil Ferguson retired from SAGE yes. in this country because right. he was discredited from having his pants down, mm. visiting his, his lover on the other side of London while yes. we were all supposed to be locked down, which mm. he had been a proponent of? Yes. He never went anywhere. No. He was still there. He's... 
all these proponents of lockdown, you know, the kind of technocratic biosecurity state, they're not going anywhere. No. Well, did so, he not just continue on in his role in something called nerve tag, whatever it was called? Well, it's, it's, another it advise, it's another advisory yeah. body. He just kind of shuffled from one to the other, but he's in the same room with the same people. Yes. Um, so fa- the, the thing that I think sticks in the craw a little bit about this Fauci mm. story is that he's he's one of the highest paid bands of government employees yeah. in the US. And you might argue he deserves it. I wouldn't, but you might. And that I means probably wouldn't either. When he retires, his pension is going to be easily over one third of a million dollars. Yeah. And it's got, um, you know, it's got locks on that so that it will rise with the price of living. But lockdowns have devastated economies mm. around the world. And you could say, well, you know, he's not responsible for around the world. But but the US is a country that other countries followed. And he's, of course, incredibly influential within supranational bodies, mm. not just within US policy. So I see him as being responsible for people in the global south who died of starvation or entered into child marriage rather than finish their education. Businesses that closed, mental and physical health problems we have now. And it's there's something that really sticks in the craw mm. about the fact that he's going to be retiring on over a third of a million and going on to the next stage of his glittering yeah. career in the biosecurity But state. this is the thing about what happened over that period, isn't it? That so much um, damage was done. And they're all acting like it was nothing. You know, mm. they're all going, yeah, well, you know, what, what else were we supposed to do? And, you know, some of us didn't agree with it, but we went along with it anyway. I mean, a number of MPs now who are in the Cabinet when Boris Johnson was locking us all down, saying, oh, we didn't actually agree with it. And it's like, well, why didn't you say something? Oh, well, you know, collective responsibility and all that. But they're all trying to run away from it 100 miles an hour because they know that the evidence that proves that it was a really, really stupid thing to do Mm. is now there for everyone to see. Absolutely. So in current times, Fauci hasn't yet earned the condemnation that he deserves. But in my opinion, history will judge him extremely harshly. Um, I would be... A bit like Chris Whitty, who apparently popped up the other day and said something. I can't remember what it was. But um, uh, he made some remark about something or other. They're not going to be proud of their entries in the history books in the future. No. I, I guarantee. No, I don't think so. And isn't it f- funny and odd in a way that the, for so long they were front and centre of everything? Chris Whitty was there every day in Downing Street telling us about the latest doom and gloom about how many people had got this disease. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's beggar's belief, really. Absolutely. Do you know what we need right now? So do you remember they did the daily death tallies? How could we forget yes, that? Yes, I lovely, do remember that. You know, we're, we're on colour codes mm. now for all kinds of trivia, but yeah. daily deaths reported. I think we probably do need daily death tallies restored to the media, but for the non-COVID excess yes. deaths, which are seriously worrying, and nobody's yet taking mm. responsibility for investigating at governmental or UK HSA level. And it should be a matter of national priority. Mm. Why are so many people dying from non-COVID causes yeah. right. in the summer? Well, the thing is, there were still lots of people dying when COVID was raging. More people dying of other things, you know, and I never understood why they kept going on and on and on about a thousand deaths here and a thousand deaths there when 1,600 people die every day here. Mm. Every day. Every day. Right? But I, th- I think it's the disparity. It's the fact that we were supposed to really care about some types mm. of deaths then, but we're not supposed to worry about these other much more inconvenient yeah. deaths, which are clearly cost of lockdown deaths yes. now. Exactly right. Should we talk about dogs? Yes, shall we? Because that's a bit more cheery, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you've got a dog. Both, yeah, and you've got a dog. Yes. Well, I follow you on Instagram, yeah. and I'm always liking your dog posts. I know. I, I, I always, don't do I'll much like, on Instagram. It's mostly just the dog. It's mostly the dog, yeah. yeah. And, right. and I can be a bit like that. I can go through real dog phases. There's a picture of me and Ziggy. Oh, he's doing what he's we so call cute. toofs, uh, oh. which is one of those stupid words that you come up with when you, your dog does something daft. And you can see his teeth. And for some reason, when he goes on his back, his teeth... Because he's got those floppy jaws yeah. of Labrador. His teeth show. It looks like a smile. That's gorgeous. Yeah, it Ta- does look like a smile. Tell me you've got a picture of my Luna. We have. Yes, there you go. That's a lovely picture as well. Oh, she's mm. so pretty. Look at those big puppy dog eyes. She looks like you. I mean that in the nicest possible way. <laughs> she does, though. Um, she looks explain. almost human. Explain. It's a beautiful dog. It's lovely. It's look. You can see the, the, the warmth in its eyes, her eyes. and She just looks like a really nice dog. Oh, Almost like with a right. human face. I'll, I'll take that. We've both we've both got some white hair. We're both black lit. We've both got big eyes. Yeah. I'm gonna. We don't both like share it. black noses, and I'm not quite as hairy. Mm. But okay, I'll I'll take no, that. I, and I no. think the spirit it's meant in. Yes. Okay. Well, most people do say that you kind of your 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 dog. If you if you are a dog lover, the dog sort of looks like the owner, doesn't it? Yeah. I think. 
I, I'm going to have a look at Ziggy and give you kind of a, a comparison. Mm. But you mentioned her eyes, and this is the story that's come out in the Times today. Yes. That researchers have found that dogs cry tears of joy. No when they're reunited with their owners yes. it's such a sweet story it is lovely you know um i do think that dogs bring people so much joy i can't imagine my family home without a pet dog no and i do really love luna if you can't tell i stand out with these barking mad no, dog but, owners but anyone and i'm with always dog, sharing pictures no but anyone online. with a dog gets that because yeah. that's of course it's how you feel i mean if we ever are going away he doesn't like suitcases ziggy sees a suitcase he's like they're going somewhere don't know how many of them are going maybe they're all going Maybe who's coming here? You know, and you can see he starts to get nervous. Yeah. Well, Luna does things like sit on bags. So yeah. if I've got a camera bag or a suitcase downstairs, she uh, sits on it, tries right. to get on it. And I think it's because she knows as well. Yeah. Um, equally, she gets very excited when she sees me put on sports socks because okay. this means... Well, it could mean I'm going to the gym, bad luck, Luna, or we're going for a run. So, right. you know, she knows all these things. And, and when, when I come home... Um, you know, there is this boundless joy, this enthusiasm, mm. this sense of we're reunited. Because, yeah. of course, her dog brain might not be able to cope with the fact that I've just gone out for two hours and yes. I was always going to come back. For her, I guess it's been this this uncertain separation. Yes. And their eyes do get bigger and a bit moist. Mm. And they're crying tears of joy, yeah. apparently. Amazing. And yeah. also, I mean, Ziggy does a lot of head rubbing. He likes to walk around like a cat. He sort of rubs up against you. And the other thing that um, that he'll do when people come back home is he'll just run around and around in a circle because he's obviously very, very happy. Yeah. And it's amazing how beautiful they all are. So if you have got a dog, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Um, we should get our dogs together for a walk. We should. But not at your local beach, which no, is flooded with sewage. because we can't go there anymore. No. I may never go back there, which is tragic. Wow. Um, we're out of time. We oh. can't talk about the conservative condoms. Never mind. Um, <laughs> it's not the end of the world. <laughs> uh, <sighs> I don't know who came up with that idea. Probably, probably best. Uh, Laura, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Say hi to Luna for me. And uh, we'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We have meandered and found ourselves into the afternoon. It's four minutes past 12, midday, uh, and I'm joined in this hour uh, by a great many great people. Susan Hall among them. She's going to kick us off. Uh, she's, of course, come City Hall, although City Hall is now no longer City Hall. We'll talk about that and why. She's chair of the Police and Crime Committee uh, at the London Assembly, which is not any longer in City Hall. It's moved somewhere else somewhere further east, somewhere further outside the centre of London for some reason. We've been talking about violent crime all morning. We'll continue to talk about that. We'll continue to take your calls, of course, as well, on the record number of migrants now coming, 1,250 yesterday alone, 5,000 so far this month. And, of course, Jeremy Carr will be here uh, to tell us what's coming up on his show tonight from 8 o'clock. And uh, we'll be taking more of your calls as well, 0344-499-1000. The inflationary spiral, 18.6% coming supposedly in January. Whether you can pay for any of any of the things that you're supposed to be paying for god only knows susan um welcome very good afternoon to you thank you good afternoon nice to you. see you we're going to do plank of the week later as well we are which you haven't done before so that'll no. be fun no. and there's quite a lot of planks and <laughs> yes. i suppose you might you might be forgiven for putting sadiq khan up for one oh, <laughs> your favorite correctly. band yes. yeah you know i was quite sort of taken aback the other night i was walking around with my son just around the back of um where we are here in, in london bridge and over towards tower bridge and when i saw city hall which for those of you who don't know is right next to tower bridge and it's quite an attractive unusual looking round mm. building all the other buildings were lit up you know the tower bridge was illuminated looked mm. beautiful hms belfast was there you could see the sort of city and everything else and then suddenly this horrible sort of blob of nothing yep. dirty lights out Nothing going on. It looks like an abandoned building. Well, that's exactly what it is. It's so are you never going building. back there now? No, well, unless we get a, a proper mayor that takes us back to the place that was purposely built mm. for the London Assembly. Right. So um, I would urge everybody to vote Sleek Khan out yes. in two years' time. Well, he can't run again, can he? I think he can. Can he? I think yeah. he'd like to. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think he wants to get back in Parliament. I right. think he sees himself as a Labour leader. Mm. He, he's never seemed to enjoy being mayor. No. Um, that's certainly the impression Well, we gives. don't see much of him, do we? I mean, in the midst no. of what is definitely a kind of crime epidemic, a violent crime epidemic in this, in this country and also very much in this city, 
He's not seemingly doing much about it. Well, no, because he always finds something or someone else to blame for everything mm. that goes wrong. And I see, well, I've just come back from holiday, but I, I did see that he was blaming the cost of living, austerity, the heat waves, mm. school holidays, longer days, etc. Anything other than saying that he is not getting yeah. this right because he is the police and crime commissioner. He is. And there is definitely something going on. I mean, people say to me, oh, there's always been crime and it's, it always gets a bit worse in the summer. But I don't remember seeing what we've been seeing, which is basically people being attacked in the street in broad daylight, yeah. having knives thrust at them uh, so they give up their phones or their, or their watches. We've seen um, just overnight, I think, um, in Nottingham, a load of people um, ransacking a McDonald's, um, just going in and taking whatever they wanted. We're looking now at a, a, a getaway of two guys on mopeds who were trying to break into a Bugatti with oh. a hammer. Um, which was actually sitting at traffic lights. It wasn't even, you know, parked. Yeah. We've seen another case here of somebody trying to steal a watch, uh, people fighting in the street, yeah, a look car. At that. I mean, it's just unreal. It's absolutely... People walking and along, minding their own business. This yeah. is on our streets. I tweeted about that last night. Mm. Just, people just walking along the streets and uh, an attack for their watches or their jewellery. And then the, the assailants just jump into a car, yeah. which is probably stolen. Um, it's actually got um, uh, somebody shouting out the window, uh, we've got your number plate. But they obviously don't even care about that. I've no. actually um, recently been um, made aware of, uh, of where I live in, in East London. Apparently it's a drop-off point for stolen cars, which I didn't know until no. I was talking to one of my neighbours because there's been a car abandoned there basically um, for about three weeks now and it's quite a high-end BMW, but it's not particularly new. But it's obviously been used in some way, shape or form and apparently what they do is they take these cars because it's a bit secluded, they park them there and then they wait a few days and if nobody comes for it, doesn't have a tracker they take it and move it somewhere else. So there's a lot of organised crime going on, it seems to me. Well, there is, but I would say this, that uh, that chap that took the video of that uh, scene yesterday that I retweeted, it's when the public get involved to help the police, this is such a good thing. Yes. Because if not, if the police were just told about a car that made a getaway with those people... They have no way, unless there's CCTV cameras mm. somewhere, of checking it. At least if the public are prepared to do things like that and hand these things over to the yeah. police, then at least the police have got something to go on. Well, you would like to think so, but then we hear stories from people who say, we've been to the police and they're not interested. You know, know, we've had loads of calls in the past month from, from people who say, you know, my motorbike was stolen, um, it's got a tracker, I've told them where it is, they won't let us, uh, they won't go there, they are like, you know, you have to talk to your insurance company. We had a guy on the phone today who said he saw some police officers um, uh, in a town, seaside town where he lives. He pointed out there was some sort of anti-social behaviour, I suppose, going on. And they said, oh, we're on PR duty today, so uh, maybe you should call it in. And he's like, but you're here. I know. And And then we've got got footage of them all dancing, Macarena, all over the place in Lincoln. I I mean, what what is is going on? Well, I think they want what the idea of the, the... police constables is they want them to interact more with the communities but I'm sorry police officers shouldn't be there necessarily to be liked no. they should be there to be respected exactly and when they dress up when they join in on various different uh, things whether they take the knee whether they join in with extinction rebellion whether they join in with uh, pride whatever they're doing they shouldn't be Yes. They should just be there to police an event. And that also, that's it. a pride march in particular, I think, in Lincoln that they were at. I mean, it doesn't strike me as one of the high crime areas of uh, the world, does it? I mean, if you're at a pride march, you're probably not likely to be committing any crime. So why are the police there in the first place? Well, I don't know, because uh, within a couple of hours, they had to put in a, a, a special section notice that means that they can um, break crowds up because there were so many so many problems in the city centre yes so you know perhaps those police officers should have been just doing their job mm. uh, because if they're then called to police the same people they've just been dancing with yeah it, it creates the wrong atmosphere it, it sends the wrong message it really does and there's another picture that they've just put up which i haven't seen before of a police officer i don't know where it's from uh trying on a red stiletto i know i've seen that on twitter um, and he is in he is in proper police uniform. Yeah, I, I personally, and he's got a big smile on his face, and I'm presuming he's going, "Oh, look at me! I'm, you know, I'm cool. I'm down with the kids, you know." Yeah, well, I don't blame the frontline officers if they've been told to do this. The uh, Lincoln chief constable said he positively encouraged them to go dancing. Well, it, in my opinion, then, if they're being told that by their superiors, 
um, that the, the fault lies with those that are telling them what to do. Well, that's it. I mean, it must be somebody who's telling them what to do because it doesn't seem yeah. to me that they would do it off their own bat. I mean, as far as you're concerned with the Police and Crime Committee in London, um, do you ever have police officers in front of you to sort of question like this about this kind of behaviour and what they're doing? We've questioned various bits of behaviour. As you know, we've got a new commissioner coming in mid-September, a new yeah. deputy commissioner. I sincerely hope they look at all this and get a grip. Yeah. Lynn Owens is actually on Twitter and she says that Mark, Sir Mark Rowley, who's going to be the new commissioner, uh, is going to listen to people and, and take note of right. what people say. I, I hope they listen to Certainly my view on behalf of others yes. that this is inappropriate. Yeah, it's interesting because I was with Ken Livingston last night, um, oh, a voice yes. from the past, yeah. you know, yeah. who, um, looking back, was actually a much better mayor than Sadiq Khan would ever be, right? But one of the things he said was that when he got into power, the, night, the crime in London was quite bad, but he actually managed to increase the number of police officers and he managed to get the crime levels down. Now, as a mayor, he took responsibility for that and he took the credit for it. Sadiq Khan makes out that he can't do anything about it, like it's nothing to do with him. But it is something to do with him, surely. It's everything to do with him. And to be fair, Boris brought the, uh, the crime figures down even further yeah. and was very robust uh, on crime. Mm. So there is something that Sadiq Khan could be doing, which he's presumably not doing then. Of course, he needs to take responsibility. That's what he needs to do. Mm. He doesn't take responsibility, whether it's with uh, the Metropolitan Police or Transport for London. He just never takes responsibility. He blames the government for everything, uh, if not yeah. the weather right. or school Yeah, holidays, I mean, I actually whatever. saw the last thing I saw him do, and I'm sure he's tweeted out since this particular tweet, but I think it might have been last week, he, he, he sort of retweeted out a BBC video on what to do when the thunderstorm comes. Oh. You know, like go inside if you're yeah. in a car, don't get out. Yeah. Uh, if you're in a field, crouch down. Yeah. I mean, seriously, you're just kind of going, sorry? Yeah. I just, think people just... know how to behave when yeah. it rains. Well, and if if there weren't so many other problems around under his watch, mm. then perhaps if he had nothing else to talk about. But quite frankly, he should be dealing with all the issues in London. And they're certainly getting worse. I mean, I know you walk around London a lot. Yeah. I'm certainly getting the feeling that it isn't as safe as it used to be. It's definitely um, not. There's a definite... I mean, I said this morning, it's got the edge about it's a it feel, that, isn't that it? New York yes. had when I yeah. lived there before, yeah. when David Dinkins was the mayor. Yeah. And it was quite tense and you know, the streets were quite dangerous and you would be, have to be very careful about walking around at night in certain parts of even Manhattan. And then Giuliani And then Giuliani over. came yeah. in and he fixed all of it, right? Yeah. And I feel that London is kind of teetering a bit like that at the moment and there's yeah. parts of it which are kind of really dangerous to go to at night. Yeah. Well, he, he needs to be working far more with the leaders of all the councils because the councils pay a big part in all of this. With I mean, Giuliani, a lot of that was around graffiti, etc. Mm. Well, that's down to the councils to deal with. Right. But he doesn't seem to deal with anyone. He hardly ever talks to the... Labour London Assembly members, let alone the right. other groups. I right. mean, he certainly never talks to the Conservatives. And ever. so do all, I mean, all the people that used to work in City Hall, then, are they all now decamped to this place near Stratford, is it? Oh, no, they can't be, because there are over a thousand people in the old City right. Hall, the proper custom-built City Hall. Uh, there's only about 200, 250 that would fit into the new building. So, so everyone else is working from home, then? Some are working from home, some are working in buildings around here. Uh, the palestra, they're working at the London Fire Brigade, okay. they're all over the place. So it's very sort of disparate. Nobody's yes, really in the same room. And it doesn't work like no, that. No, it, it doesn't. He's he's ridiculous. We told him he was ridiculous. He's not saving the sort of money he said he would, which we said he wouldn't. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the man is a hopeless mayor, quite He really frankly. is. And TfL, meanwhile, continues to stagger from one sort of financial crisis well, to another, yes, doesn't it? Yes, that needs a grip. I mean, the only reason it's not doing even worse is they've got Andy Byford, who, in my view, is a very, very good commissioner mm. but you know they need to get to grips with the finances and of course Khan will not approach the unions and look at some of their benefits some of no. the benefits for the staff of TfL are extraordinary yes we, I've heard that their working day starts as soon as they walk out their front door for, for example <laughs> and that sort of counts as part of the hour of the, whatever the eight hour work that they do begins as soon as they walk out their front door and the traveling time Include, is, is included in the eight-hour shift. Well, they also get free passes for any for one person that lives with them. Right. Uh, they don't have to be a relative, I believe. It's just one person. That's that's a free transport pass. Amazing. Well, that's worth a lot. Uh, they won't look at that. 
they need to look at the pensions. An independent body has mm. said, look at the pensions. Mm. You can save millions and millions. Yeah. And they're, they're not happy to be doing that. Well, it's taxpayers' money exactly. that's keeping the, keeping the whole thing afloat. They need to be looking at yeah. everything. Absolutely incredible stuff. Listen, great to see you. Well, I'll see you shortly because uh, we're going to film Plank of the Week after this. Uh, of course, I think Andre Walker is going to be with us as well. Susan Hall, thank you so much. Thank we'll you. see you in a moment. Uh, this is Talk TV. Uh, we've got many more of you to talk to. Jeremy Carl's going to be along uh, with us as well. Uh, this is, of course, the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 